good morning everyone. A um, little different, a little weird today. Uh, different POV. Um, it's, I was getting used to it with, with Sunday school, um, looking out at everyone, but uh, it's been a while obviously since we had that. Um, so today uh, our passage uh, is in Acts chapter 16, uh, verse, verses 25 to 34. Um, and the title of this sermon is The Sovereign Savior. Uh, very, very original. And please, anyone, feel free to uh, ask me to speak up if I'm not being loud enough. I won't be offended. So as I said, the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. And many of us have, have read or heard this passage preached before, and maybe, um, maybe today in particular will refresh your memory on that and perhaps even bring to mind uh, your own studies pertaining to this chapter and the verses we're going to be looking into. But before we begin, I, I wanted to uh, just examine the context of today's passage. I think it will be beneficial for everyone since we're kind of just jumping into this. Um, this week, um, and it will help us better understand the significance of the events uh, and their meaning as well. So for starters, uh, Paul and Silas have up to this point uh, been journeying about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and after being called in a dream, uh, they had set sail from Troas to the city of Philippi, which was the leading city of Macedonia. It was a it was a Roman colony, as Luke records in verse 12 of this same chapter. So during their short time there, Paul and Silas had been followed for, for many days uh, by a slave girl who was possessed by a demon. She eventually disturbed and annoyed Paul so much so that um, he eventually cast the demon out of the girl. This upset the owners of the slave girl and uh, mainly because they had lost their source of income, which, which had come through the slave girl's um, fortune-telling. So they seized Paul and Silas, dragging them to the magistrates, and they falsely accused them of disturbing the peace of the city by advocating for unlawful Jewish customs to be practiced by the Romans. As a result, Paul and Silas were beaten. They were thrown into prison, um, and, and there they were bound, they had their feet fastened in stocks, um, and, and they were under the watch of a certain Philippian jailer. Now this brings us to our text for today, and, and it's beginning in verse 25 of Acts chapter 16. It says, About midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew a sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. 
And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So as you'll notice, uh, there's a lot going on here in this passage. Um, And in particular, I'd I'd like to bring your attention to uh, a certain truth as we as we dive into this, um, and that is the fact that in in God's perfect providence, uh, He uses the ordinary and the miraculous in bringing sinners to repentance and faith in Christ for salvation. I've kind of laid this sermon out uh, in three points or headings um, that you can keep in the back of your mind as I go through. Um, The first one is unforeseen circumstances. Uh, The second is the result. And the third is suddenly changed. And these three points, I hope, will will help you to see clear this this marvelous truth uh, that we find here in this passage. So the first point, unforeseen circumstances. Um, I guess to start with a question, have, have any of you ever experienced a situation where things don't always go according to plan? Um, obviously, the answer is yes, and, and those things happen uh, to most of us on a, on a daily basis. Um, one thing that we know about human nature is that uh, we like being in control, and, and when things uh, don't go according to our plans, um, it troubles us greatly. We we like being in control. We, we, it feels like we accomplish something, and deep down comes from a desire uh, and thought that our way is the best way. We don't like to worry, and, and rather we'd, we'd much prefer to know that everything will go according to our plans. And, and we don't like change, so we uh, orchestrate everything, uh, and even with backup plans, plan B, so that, that our desired result will be met accordingly. But as so often happens, things don't go according uh, to our plans. Things and times and and people change, and and the end result is not always uh, what we had expected or even desired at all. And if you're like me, um, when this happens, your reaction is is probably one of um, impatience, worry, um, anger. Um, In the last six months or so, um, I'm sure many of us have, have felt an increase in these feelings, um, not knowing what's, what's going on or what's going to happen. And why is this the case? Um, well, for one, we forget that God is sovereign, namely that he controls all things. As we see here in this passage, Paul and Silas went to Philippi to preach the gospel, having been called there by God himself. But then they ended up getting beat up and thrown in a jail cell. And you can speculate uh, all you want as to uh, how you or myself would react if if in that situation, Um, likely questioning why God had brought us there in the first place, wondering what use we could possibly be uh, being locked up in a cold, dark jail cell. But how how do we see Paul and Silas react? So looking at verse 25, uh, we see that the two missionaries are are still awake in the middle of the night. Uh, They're praying and and singing hymns to God, and and they're not doing so quietly. They're they're not doing so in a whisper for their own benefit, um, but so that the rest of the prisoners could hear and listen. 
The two of them could have easily complained. Uh, they could have murmured against God. Uh, but they instead sang to the Lord with thanksgiving in their hearts because they knew that their imprisonment was a result of their obedience to God. And they knew that he was in control. So they had learned on multiple occasions prior to this um, by experience what it what it meant to rejoice in suffering uh, for the cause of the gospel, and they glorified God in so doing. And those listening to them may have been annoyed. They, they may have been curious. Um, but regardless, there was, there was no question uh, who it was that, that Paul and Silas served. Um, and little did they know such faithfulness to God would be used by him to draw sinners to himself as an avenue for the gospel opens up in the following events. So we read next that suddenly the earth quaked, causing the foundations of the prison to shake and the doors to open, and everyone's bonds to unfasten. Surely yet another surprise to Paul and Silas, uh, as they were likely frightened, uh, wondering what was going on, as, as most people would. Massive earthquakes certainly aren't a common phenomenon in, in most parts of the world. Um, and even so, the very fact that as the earth quaked, the doors were opened and the prisoners were freed was amazing enough in itself. So did this earthquake happen by coincidence? Did it happen by accident or, or by chance? Um, obviously, we know as Christians, of course not. Um, we, we need to be the first to acknowledge um, that there is no such thing as chance or luck or coincidence. Um, in our lives as all things have been ordained by God and everything comes to pass under his sovereign hand. Simply what happened in this event was that God in his providence ordained that the earth should shake at just the right time, um, that the jail would collapse at just the right time, that uh, the doors would swing open and their chains be broken at just the right time, and that the prisoners would be freed as a result, just as he had planned. And you may well ask, why, why did God choose to free them this way? Couldn't he have, uh, couldn't he have just released them silently into the night um, so that they could go on their way preaching the gospel? Well, yes, he, he could have done so, but he didn't. And, and he had other plans. And every little thing that happens here uh, is moving toward a greater purpose, as we shall see. Not only this, but God chose to manifest his power to all who were overhearing Paul and Silas singing their, uh, their praises and prayers so that there would be no question what caused, or rather who caused, such an unlikely occurrence. So we come now to the reaction of the jailer. He responds with, with dread and, and hopelessness. Um, as the one put in charge of the prisoners, he knew that their escape under his watch would result in uh, severe punishment, almost certainly punished by death. Um, his excuse as to why they ex uh, escaped wasn't a very good one. Um, he would have to tell his superiors that uh, the earth shook and the prisoners escaped. Probably wouldn't go over very well. So this jailer, he saw only one solution. Um, that, was, that was to draw his own sword and, and to kill himself, uh, to end his own life, which he knew would would almost certainly end soon regardless. But then, suddenly Paul intervenes, crying with a loud voice, 
do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, why would, why would Paul do this? Wouldn't it make sense to escape, to run for it at this point, since uh, it couldn't be denied that their freedom from imprisonment was, was a direct act of God? Um, what gave Paul the desire to command this jailer in such a way as to spare his life? Frankly, we don't know for sure. However, uh, Paul surely knew that, uh, that he was called to proclaim the gospel no matter what. Um, he knew that's what God had commanded him, uh, commissioned him to do. We must also remember God's counsel and purpose in everything, uh, including the decisions of his people. Um, in other words, God didn't loosen their bonds uh, so that they could just run free immediately. Uh, rather, he did so to show the power of his almighty hand, and as a result, in the process, strengthen the faith of Paul and Silas, and ultimately make Christ's name glorious among others. So we see here in these verses the providence of God. Uh, the providence of God is his governing uh, of all the ways of his creatures in order to bring about that which he has purposed and ordained. And he's not just sovereign over his creatures, um, he's sovereign over all things from the earthquaking to a speck of dust flying in the breeze and everything in between. So we see here that was surely that what was surely unexpected and unforeseen uh, by Paul and Silas was perfectly according to the plan of our sovereign God. And that very plan continues to play out in the events following, which brings us to our next point, our second point, the result, uh, looking specifically at verses 29 to 32. So at this point, you may be getting a better idea of, of what these things, all these events have happened in this passage uh, so far, what they're leading toward, what they're pointing toward. Um, there was brief mention, but mentioned nonetheless, of this certain Philippian jailer back in verse 23. And then attention is brought back to him in verse 27 and onward. So surely this jailer had uh, overseen many prisoners over the course of his tenure. Um, but he had never experienced something like this. And not only did the earth shake violently, but the entire jail uh, nearly collapsed and all the prisoners were freed as a result. It wasn't uh, an ordinary day at the office for this jailer, and, and he was certainly fearful uh, for his life, uh, since, as I just mentioned, that he was about to end in himself in fear of what his superiors would do to him. But not only that, he feared what these prisoners were about. Um, these prisoners under his charge, they, were, they had been singing beforehand, uh, as we see, we read in verse 29, after calling for lights uh, so that he could see who it was calling out into the darkness at him, he fell down before Paul and Silas, trembling with fear. Now, why did he fear? Uh, the, most likely the events <laughs> that had just occurred were a bit alarming, uh, especially, especially since he had earlier been overhearing them singing uh, hymns to God all night. He had a reason to be fearful, whether that fear was based on physical harm or, or spiritual. We read here that after having brought them out, the jailer asks a question to Paul and Silas. As a matter of fact, he happens to ask the most important question uh, that any one of us could ever ask. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer knew that 
he needed to be saved. Um, but the question you may have is, is saved from what? Um, was he seeking salvation in the physical sense of the term or, or in the spiritual sense? Some interpreters have argued that uh, he was seeking help to have his life spared considering what had just taken place. Others interpret um, his question to, to spiritual matters, arguing that he likely heard of this God and his mercy and his judgment uh, through the hymns and prayers of Paul and Silas and, and thus accredited the earthquake and their escape to this God. And then, as a result, sought salvation from his wrath and judgment. But either way, whether he sought saving physically or spiritually, we see here that Paul and Silas answer in the next verse with a spiritual answer or solution. And that's so plain and clear that, that it cannot be said otherwise. But before we get to their answer, let's focus on this question a bit more. Um, notice how he asks what he must do. Uh, he was willing to do anything, and he knew that he needed to do something. Whether that meant helping them escape, um, being a better person to make up for his, his past mistakes, or pulling himself up by his bootstraps to work harder to serve them or to serve this God that they worshipped. Um, who knows what he, what he thought, but the answer they give to his question is certainly not what he expected to hear. In fact, it really isn't the answer any, uh, any of us ever expect to hear, any man has ever expected, or ever really desired on their own. Um, and what's, what's his answer? What, what is the solution that Paul and Silas give? They say in verse 31, um, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. There was zero, zero hesitation on their part with that answer. No second thoughts. Um, even though they were beaten, beaten and tired with, with care for this jailer's soul, uh, they told him the only answer that he needed to hear, and that we all need to hear. And, and there were no gimmicks or tricks. Um, it can't be that easy, can it? Uh, surely there must be more to it. But man naturally thinks he can earn God's love and favor, but Paul and Silas didn't tell him to be a better person or to do more good works to outweigh his bad deeds or anything else to earn God's favor. Rather, simply believe in the Lord Jesus. There's no salvation apart from him. No one comes to the Father except through him, as Jesus tells us himself in John 14:6. Now, what do they mean by, by believe? Um, do they mean simply acknowledge the existence of God? Of course not, though some may think or say that if you ask them that very question, if you ask them to define it. Uh, but Paul and Silas mean belief in the salvific sense, which refers to trust in and reliance upon Christ alone for salvation. Faith is what? It's the gift of God, as, as Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. The Westminster Confession of Faith defines it as the instrument by which we receive and rest upon Christ and his righteousness for salvation. It's a throwing aside of, of all our self, our works, our merit, and coming to Christ with, with empty hands to receive him freely. It's a clinging to the cross of our Redeemer and a leaning upon the rock of our salvation. Which brings us to define salvation or, or saved as it's stated in verse 31. 
it's easy to uh, to remember the the phrase Pastor John always uses, whether it's whether it's his own or not. I don't know, but it's it's good. It's easy to remember. Uh, which defines saved in the sense of deliverance from the wrath of God, saved to God in the sense of reconciliation, and saved by God and for His glory alone. And this salvation, of course, uh, is through nothing else than the person and work of Christ in whom we are to put our trust. Um, Christ is the object our faith must lay hold of and receive. We read next in verse 32 that that Paul and Silas didn't leave the jailer to believe in someone in whom he had never heard of, uh, but they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Um, Paul knew more than anyone that true faith is always accompanied by the word of Christ or the gospel. You cannot have faith without hearing or reading or learning of the one uh, in whom you are to believe. Um, as Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul and Silas therefore didn't stop there with one short answer, but uh, they expanded on this great salvation that comes by faith alone in Christ alone. One thing I don't want us to pass over uh, as we go through this passage is, is the compassion and, and the mercy of God. Um, yes, he's He's sovereign, but, but that's not all that he is. Um, and, and what mercy God showed toward this jailer, what, what compassion he, he had for him, uh, even though this guy didn't do anything to deserve it. Um, God would have been perfectly just in, in allowing uh, the jail to collapse on this man's head, um, and he would have died in his sins. He would have faced God uh, at the judgment day. And... and but God showed mercy, and, and the same can be said of every child of God and the mercy that he has shown to us. Now to our third point, uh, suddenly changed, looking specifically at verses 33 and 34. Uh, as we read these verses, notice this sudden change in the character and demeanor and the actions of this Philippian jailer. Verse 33 reads, and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. There is, as we can see, there's an immediate and miraculous change uh, in the heart of this jailer. He went from holding Paul and Silas captive as filthy, beat-up prisoners, to then washing their wounds in his own house, and not only that, but proceeded uh, to be baptized by them, along with the rest of his family who were with him. Um, how, can, how can such a change of heart be explained? Well, firstly, the lost, they can't explain it. Uh, unbelievers cannot explain it. The world they cannot explain it, uh, but the Christian can. And, and I'm sure you remember what I had mentioned towards the beginning of, of this sermon, that, namely that throughout this passage you would see how God uh, in his providence he uses ordinary means and miraculous means uh, in, in bringing about his purposes, especially the salvation of, of the sinner. You may have been wondering when I was going to mention this miracle, um, and, and I would... 
I would describe the events we read about in the first five verses or so as not miraculous, uh, in the sense that even though they may have been out of the ordinary, um, they were not extraordinary. And they could still be explained in, in some uh, manner naturally, though of course we know uh, God's hand was orchestrating it all. Today the word, the word miracle is, is thrown, thrown around uh, so often that it's, it's lost its, its true meaning and, and significance. Uh, for example, us Eagles fans, we like to talk about the miracle at the, at the Meadowlands. Um, we, I mean, I'm sure any of you can think of a scenario, your favorite sports team, they've, they've come back to win a game uh, against all odds and, and we call it a miracle. Um, or we may say that the birth of a baby is a miracle. Um, and the birth of a baby is, is amazing, uh, no doubt, and we praise God for that, but, but really it's, it's pretty ordinary if you, if you stop and think about it, considering, considering that it happens uh, every minute of, of every day around the world. Now, I'm, I'm not excluded here. Uh, I, use, I use the word incorrectly all the time. Um, it just comes out. Um, and similar to what I mentioned before earlier in the sermon about luck or chance, uh, these, these words occasionally slip out of my mouth as well. It's, it's a little more awkward to tell someone good providence rather than good luck. Um, but back to miracles. Biblically, a miracle is something that cannot be explained naturally, but rather it's something supernatural and is the direct act of God. It may be perceivable in the external world in some way, or it might not. Uh, a couple good New Testament examples would be Jesus walking on water or, or raising the dead, which is why I, I now focus uh, your attention back to these verses and this jailer who did, in fact, experience a miraculous birth. This jailer, he was, he was born again by the Spirit of God, and he was suddenly changed not because of anything that he did in himself, but because of what God did in him by removing his heart of stone and giving him a heart of flesh that was capable of trusting in God and obeying him. And we could, we could spend a lot more time and dive much deeper into this, uh, this truth of what's called regeneration. Um, it's laid out uh, more specifically in more detail in places like Ezekiel chapter 36 and, and John chapter 3. Uh, for the sake of time, we, we won't do that, but I'd love to discuss it uh, after this if you'd like. Now you may ask, uh, how do we know this jailer was born again? Um, what are the evidences of this new birth uh, or this new heart? So my third point, it's suddenly changed. And as that indicates, it's certainly noticeable that there was a sudden change in this man. Not only did he believe in Christ for salvation as Paul had told him to, but he showed in his life the fruits of genuine repentance. He showed by his actions that his faith was not a dead faith, and that his repentance of sin involved a turning from those sins and living a new life marked by holiness and the fruit of the Spirit. Now granted, this guy was still a sinner and he remained such uh, till the day that he died, um, but he was a new creation and each and every day for the rain, remainder of his life, God was sanctifying him and conforming him more and more into the image of Christ. Faith and repentance, they, they go hand in hand, um, and you cannot have one without the other. This jailer, he, 
he experienced a sudden change and he was able to believe and repent and obey because God had given him a new heart. He gave him the ability to do so. And such a glorious salvation, it can only result in rejoicing as this jailer uh, and his whole family do, uh, giving all the glory and the praise to God alone. Now I hope uh, we can see from these verses uh, how God orchestrates every single thing under his sovereign hand in bringing about his purposes. Um, and that what may seem unexpected and confusing uh, in our eyes is really just a part of his, his perfect providence um, as he carries out his eternal decree. Now, how do we, uh, how do we apply this truth to our lives? Um, what, are we, what are we to make of all this? Well, first, I mentioned that God uses the ordinary as, as well as the miraculous in saving sinners. What was so, what was so ordinary about this passage? I would say it's, it, was, it was the ordinary obedience to God um, that Paul and Silas showed. Um, they displayed it before they were in prison. Um, they, they displayed it by singing and praying to God while in prison and, and then by proclaiming the gospel to this desperate jailer. There's, there's really nothing crazy or out of the ordinary about that. And, and we're all capable of the same ordinary living as we trust God to do what only he can do, and that is save sinners. So for the believer... Remember that the God who saved you is the one who controls all things. And we say this so often, it's, it's easy to say, but it's a lot harder to believe it. Um, and what an unspeakable uh, comfort this brings to believers uh, when they trust God. Uh, like Paul and Silas, we can, we can rejoice and praise God no matter what befalls us in this life because we know that uh, prosperity and affliction and everything in between uh, are to further our salvation and make us more like Christ. God brought you to himself uh, in his providence. Uh, he gave you a new heart. He granted you repentance and faith as a gift. So rejoice in, in how he has changed you already uh, and know that he promises to change you more and more into the image of Christ until we're in his presence. Our God is he's one who uses means to bring about his ends. Uh, and just as Paul and Silas were the weak instruments that uh, God chose to use uh, in bringing the gospel to this jailer, uh, just as God likely used uh, someone to bring the gospel to you, so you and I are the weak instruments that God delights in using to bring the gospel to the lost. So remember this, this privilege that we have uh, Trust God, obey Him, uh, and be attentive in all circumstances and conversations, even, even when they are seemingly out of sorts, uh, when, they're, when they're not according to our plans. Um, and know that, that God saves sinners not through gimmicks or techniques, but through the simple proclamation, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And lastly, for any uh, unbelievers who may be listening, what is it that, that you'll do with all of this? Uh, will, you, will you do as the jailer did and, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and be saved? 
Or will you continue living in your sin and uh, under the condemnation and, and pending wrath of God? We've been discussing providence. Um, I assure you that it's, it's no coincidence that you're sitting here or, or listening uh, from home uh, to this sermon at this very moment. And God has graciously uh, given you the opportunity to turn to him and be saved. Like this Philippian jailer, uh, God has spared your life up to now, and, and every breath you draw is because of his grace. And every breath you draw brings you closer to your last breath when you'll see him face to face and stand before him. This good news, this good news of salvation through Christ, uh, the message, it, the invitation, it has an expiration date. Uh, but now it's available at this very moment. And you heard the words of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he didn't say, believe in Christ and you might be saved. He didn't say, believe in Christ or you'll probably be saved. No, he said, you will be saved if you trust in Christ alone to save you. Christ will not turn away uh, any who come to him in faith, uh, no matter how great a sinner, uh, no matter your past or, or the skeletons in your closet, uh, because it's just those very sinners that Christ died for on the cross. Christ lived the perfect sinless life that, that we have all failed to live. Um, and in dying, he, he bore the wrath of God that sinful man deserved. He rose from the grave in victory uh, over sin, over Satan, over evil, over death. And he ascended into heaven and he's seated on his throne at this very moment at the right hand of the Father. And praise God, he's, he's still in the business of, of saving sinners. Um, so put your trust in him alone. And, and believe in him and you will be saved. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, we thank you for this great salvation that comes uh, by faith alone and in Christ alone. And we can do nothing to merit salvation, um, but it's a free gift and that you freely offer it to us. Uh, and the moment... We repent and trust in you, Lord Jesus, alone to save us. We are saved and secure. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that, uh, pray that your word would sink deeply into our hearts. Um, anything from me, uh, from my own words, from my own heart, I pray that it would be quickly forgotten. And anything from your word, Lord, that's eternal truth, I pray that it would uh, be planted in our hearts and that it would bear fruit for your glory. Uh, thank you for this day, Lord. We praise you, we love you, and thank you, and ask all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. That's it? Uh, forgot I was recording.